Chobani means shepherd, so we're going to do the right thing and take care of, of the flock, the meta- metaphoric flock, so to speak. But we're warriors. We hate our competition. We want to crush them. We want to win. We want to grow. We want to be number one in market share. Companies and people can be both. It used to be like, oh, there's those do-good companies, and oh, there's those highly competitive companies. Why can't you be both? Why can't half of you want be a warrior and say, I want to go win in all the markets I compete in, and then I want to give? What? It's a false choice. It, it's, it's, they, they can be mutually inclusive. That's Peter McGinnis, president of Chobani. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. We live in a world of overwhelming options, and whether you're an entrepreneur, an executive, or just someone who wants to make the most out of your time and money, committing to just one thing can feel impossible. That's called FOMO, and it's short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers how they make personal and professional decisions in a world of overwhelming choice. honest with you. I never thought I'd be that guy to post pictures of foodie cooks on Instagram. Until quarantine, my cooking consisted mainly of making things like tuna fish sandwiches. How times have changed. In the past month, I've made things like Thai shrimp curry, vegetable curry, and garlic naan, and I made all of them from scratch. And of course, I had to post them to Instagram. Who knew? I became that guy. At one point or another for each of these recipes, I found myself using a product from food juggernaut Chobani. I've long been a fan of their food and their mission, and that's why I sat down with the man at the top, Peter McGinnis, the president of Chobani, about how he and Chobani make decisions every day about how to build a company that reflects the values of its charismatic founder, Hamdi Ulukaya, its employees, and its customers. It was a really good conversation. And then stick around for the foam moment of the show, where we'll catch up with the founders of mission-driven food company, Rip Van, who you might remember from way back in season one of FOMO Sapiens. They began their business by selling Stroop waffles out of their dormant brown, and less than a decade later, their products are now sold in every Starbucks in America and are a staple in offices and cafeterias. With most of those outlets closed right now, Marco and Rip will explain how they are steering their business through the crisis, and how you can too. Plus, Rip Van and I are teaming up to give you the perfect combo to feed both your bodies and your minds. Just head over to their Instagram at Rip Van Waffles, that's R-A-P-B-A-N-W-A-F-E-L-S, or mine at Patrick J. McGinnis, or both today, where we're giving away four boxes of waffles and four copies of my new book to four lucky FOMO Sapiens listeners. All the details are in the posts, and while you're there, you can check out all that cooking I've been doing. Now let's get on to the interview with Peter McGinnis. And before you ask, sadly, we are not related. He spells McGinnis like Guinness the beer, which my dad says, by the way, is the wrong way. Now for a bit of background, while Peter is sitting at the top of a dairy and oat milk empire today, he didn't start out in the food business. He actually worked in the advertising industry for over 20 years. So I started out our conversation by asking Peter why he made the move to Giovanni in the first place and how his life has changed since he's taken over the role of president. I came over to Giovanni because it was a company I believed in, a brand I believed in, and it was different. And, you know, when you, when you spend a lot of time in advertising, a lot of people want to go to the client side. You know, mm-hmm. you spent 20 years serving clients and leading clients and doing great work for clients, and then you kind of want to say, what would it like to be a client, you know? And so I went over to Chobani. It wasn't that big of a shift for me, because Chobani's a pretty creative brand, and it's belief-based, um, and it's very entrepreneurial. So it wasn't like I came over to the client side, 
you know, the dark side and it was boring and layered and not innovative. And it was like a total change from advertising. It felt very similar actually. So the transition was swift um, and relatively easy and you know, being CMO of, of a belief-based brand that makes great products, that does the right thing, that fights for the underdog or um, continuously helps people in need is a beautiful thing um, because it'd be pretty boring to be a chief marketing and brand officer of a brand that you don't love, that's not relevant, that's not resonant, um, that's not modern, that's not giving. Being president of Giovanni, it's it's a proud moment for me, and I'm honored to do it because I believe in the company, its mission, its values. Look, taking on supply, I had all the demand. Now taking on all of supply chain and quality and innovation and R and D and sourcing and manufacturing and operations, engineering, all that stuff. Um, very technical. I will never out engineer our engineers. I'll never out ops our head of operations, and nor should I. I should be here to support them and make them as successful as possible. And so that's been a bit of a transition for me to kind of step back. And, and yes, I, I, I love being a practitioner, and I love being in the details. And that's a good thing. I'll, I'll never lose that, but you have to dial some of that back and so that your, your teams can do what they do best and your teams can rise and grow and that makes a motivated workforce and that ultimately makes for a successful company and good results. Tricky, easier said than done, but that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. You've joined this company that's not your typical CPG company because you have a visionary founder, Hamdi Ulukaya, who is somebody who you know is, is well known, he's a figure, a public figure, who built this business from scratch, an immigrant to the United States, you know, came really not a lot on his back and mm -hmm. has built this, you know, massive business and it's his baby. And so I'm curious as you come in here as the president, how do you sort of work together? Is that ever a challenge to you or do you, do you find that it's actually pretty easy to, to collaborate? It's ongoing. Um, and that's, it's tricky. And, um, founders are, and entrepreneurs are really interesting leaders. Hamdi has, a lot of what I don't, I have some of what he doesn't. And, you know, it, together we can fill each other's gaps mm -hmm. and that really makes a true team. Hamdi defied all the odds and that's a beautiful thing and it needs to be really respected. And so what I really, I view my job as carrying on his legacy and, and ensuring Giovanni's successful so that it continues to thrive in many years to come which is what he ultimately wants. And so, yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky like with every boss, but even trickier with a founder because it is his baby. But he never has treated it that way. He's always treated it as it's the employee's company. He's never really run around and said, this is my company, which is what's great about him. And he's never really taken a lot of money out of the company. He puts it back into the company because mm -hmm. what he really wants is Chobani to thrive, grow, expand, evolve, and be here forever. That's his ultimate goal. Um, so he himself has, you know, given up some things to let me thrive. What he brings, which I think is very, very important, is his compass. His compass is do the right thing. His you know, he founded the company. We've never changed the recipe of the food because he made it right 12 years ago when no one was looking. 
right? So he donated a percent of profits and proceeds from Cup One when he didn't have to 12 years ago and no one was looking. Uh, he hired all the refugees 12 years ago. So he didn't do this. This is not a recent thing. So he, he laid that foundation from the very, very beginning, right? And so for me, I want to keep that going. So you were, we're sitting here in your offices, and, and I actually have your new oat milk in front of me, which I'll be bringing home and drinking. And uh, it's funny, when the oat milk first became a thing, I remember somebody ordering it at my coffee shop, and I was like, oh, another trendy milk. So mm-hmm. it started out with the, the soy, and then it was the almond and the rice and the coconut and then the oat. You're always thinking about new products. And when you look at a product like an oat milk, somebody could say, well, you know, okay, could be the future, but it also could be FOMO. And so I'm curious when you think about a product like a note, how do you get the conviction that it's not a flash in the pan, sure. that this is a place for you to put your resources? I, I don't have a lot of business FOMO anymore. And innovation, it's easy to get FOMO. Or a competition launched this and, oh, they just lowered their price. And okay, <laughs> let them do that. That's what they do. You need to have your own playbook mm-hmm. and you need to have your own confidence. That's number one. Number two, you really have to sift through what's a fad versus a trend. There's so many food fads. And if you follow food fads, you're going to be chasing your tail and you're going to run around in circles and you're going to waste a lot of time and money and resources. And so, we, like I said, we were wandering around Oats. We have a huge innovation center in Idaho, 75,000 square feet, brand new state of the art. And we've been playing around with Oats for a long, long time. And then... You know, we have Hamdi owns La Colombe, 35, 37 cafes. So we started to see early this oat pairs really well with coffee. And um, we said, wow, that's really interesting. We started playing around with it. You look at oats. Okay, oats is a cover crop, very little water, very low environmental impact, um, delicious, very broad in its appeal. The oat beverage is very milky, has, has milk, dairy milk-like qualities, tastes great with cereal, tastes good enough to just jug it, leaves a milk mustache like milk, goes excellent with coffee, froths, steams. So it has a lot of milk qualities without the dairy. And that's why we joke around and say it's almost milk. So we think it's the superior plant. We think it's the king of the plants. So that was our big bet. We made a huge investment on this to do this ourselves in record time with a lot of overtime and very expensive equipment because we think it's not a fad. So Peter, I want to turn to a business decision that you made that, that put Chobani in the headlines. And, and I think it's a really a great story to talk about in terms of decision making. There is a phenomenon out there that I had never heard of called school lunch debt. Basically, when kids can't pay their lunch, they rack up debt. And a city in Rhode Island, Warwick, announced a policy to basically only give kids who had this debt uh, a pretty non-nutritious lunch. So it was a sunflower seed and jelly sandwiches. And Chobani heard about this, stepped up and donated almost $50,000 to pay off those debts so that the kids could maintain access to regular school lunch. And at the time, you issue a statement that said, quote, access to naturally nutritious and delicious food should be a right, not a privilege for every child. Can you tell us why Chobani felt that it should step into this situation? Sure. 
First and foremost, we didn't look at it as a business decision. Okay. And I think that's the mistake most companies make. Wasn't a business decision, had nothing to do with our business. Warwick, Rhode Island is a very small town. It's not going to move market share or increase the amount of pounds we make, produce, and ship. We kind of led with our heart and soul. And businesses are comprised of people and we're parents. So you, you look at that and say, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just wrong. Now, child nutrition also has been at the forefront of things we care about from the very beginning. So we quickly, you know, no committees, no anything. We just said, hey, we're going to, so we call up the mayor of Warwick Island and say, we want to pay the lunch debt. And he accepted it and we paid it. And it became this national news story. I mean, there was never in our wildest imagination that we thought we would get that much outpouring of love for just doing the right thing. It was $50,000. It wasn't like we did millions. We just doing the right thing, which is a knee-jerk reaction for us to do the right thing. It's instinct. We didn't have to have, we didn't debate it and discuss it much. And then we said, wow, this is, this is something that's kind of under the skin of Americans here. And this is a big deal. So we dug into it and we realized every state has lunch debt in the entire country. So then we immediately paid the upstate lunch debt where our factory is in upstate New York. And it was more than Warwick. And then we went to Idaho and paid the lunch debt. We did it quietly and didn't make a big deal about it. And then as we got into this, we're like, wow, this is all 50 states have lunch debt. And then this is a huge problem. And so we can't, Chobani can't end this by just paying. And by the way, then it resets next year and it accumulates the year. So this is a national problem. It requires a national solution, but we want to do our, our part. And so we were gonna, we're going to continue to raise awareness of this issue, lobby the government to take this on, and we're going to continue to do, donate and invest significantly more uh, than last year, this year. Because we just, it's one of those things that just bothers us. Tudo bem, meus queridos fomos sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel. The science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. I'm curious. It seems like these days no good deed goes unpunished. And companies, when they do take actions that, I mean, it seems pretty uncontroversial. You're just helping people, mm-hmm. helping kids, you know, the most vulnerable among us. But I, I'm curious if you had people who um, somehow found something negative in that. And when you think about these decisions, especially ones that quote unquote are political in some aspect, in this particular environment, do you think about the potential downsides and and did any of those come true? On this particular one, it's interesting because whether young, old, urban, suburban, um, Democrat, independent, or Republican, 
shame on you if, if you're okay with lunch shaming. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this one was surprisingly nonpartisan. But yeah, you look at the downside. I mean, I, I thought, well, what if people think this is not genuine? And I think brands should be careful. Uh, it, it came across very genuine from Chobani because it was very genuine. And this is not random. We've already had partnerships in place for many years with Save the Children and No Kid Hungry. If it's a publicity stunt because your business is down or you're trying to be cool when you're not, um, not good. If it comes out of the essence and DNA of your company and it's on an issue that you have a long track record of fighting for, then it's authentic, beautiful, genuine, and it comes naturally right out of the brand and the business and the company, and you're helping people. And then the cynics are silenced. But there are a lot of companies that do stunts and publicity uh, for publicity, and that's not cool. And, and consumers are very smart, and they suss those companies out and are quite critical of those companies. And you know that gets back to there's still a ton of companies out there that have corporate social responsibilities departments to feel good about themselves. And you know, that's ridiculous. It's apartment. You know, Chobani is... Everybody at Chobani wants to do the right thing. We don't have a freaking department. <laughs> you know, having a department isn't genuine. It's like, oh, we should find some stuff to make ourselves feel good and our shareholders feel good. And I, I got that covered. We have a department that does that. That's ridiculous. Either you're in or you're out or you feel it or you don't or you stand for it or you don't. And if you, and if you stand for it and you feel it and you're in it, then the whole company's in, not a department. <laughs> so... I feel like we do walk the walk and talk the talk, and I feel like our deeds speak louder than words, and we have a long track record of doing the right thing. Um, so it's not, and therefore does not feel like um, it's temporary or a stunt. You've mentioned this wasn't a business decision. This was much more than that, but there is some sort of ROI sure. on being a good having values, right? So as you think about, does that ever, I, mean, I, I don't know if, if, if companies ever sort of think about this, like, well, our demand could be 2% higher because people think that we do the right thing. Does that ever factor into your decision-making? Yeah. Well, most companies are earnings per share driven mm -hmm. and quarterly results driven and shareholder driven and doing the right thing costs money, takes away from profits. And we're lucky enough to be private we're lucky enough to be founder-led, like I said, and we're perfectly fine having less profit, but doing the right thing. So I want to be very clear. We are a for-profit company and proud. And this is where the warrior shepherd comes in. And, and, and Hamdi and I joke around a lot, a lot about this. Chobani means shepherd, so we're going to do the right thing and take care of, of the flock, the meta, metaphoric flock, so to speak. But we're warriors. We hate our competition. We want to crush them. We want to win want to grow, want to be number one in market share. Companies and people can be both. It used to be like, oh, there's those do-good companies, and oh, there's those highly competitive companies. Why can't you be both? Why can't half of you want to be a warrior and say, I want to go win in all the markets I compete in, and then I want to give? What? It's a false choice. It, it's, it's, they, they can be mutually inclusive. Companies really need to step up. We cannot tackle the issues of the world uh, without the private sector. Yeah. And NGOs and governments aren't going to get it done. No disrespect 
I have a lot of appreciation for NGOs, and we and we align with many of them, but they're not going to be able to do it without private sector having a heart and a soul. Peter, when it comes to getting the most out of life, what have you recently decided to either start doing or stop doing that's had the most impact on you? You know, for me, it's a perpetual struggle. Uh, I hate this whole work-life balance thing because because <laughs> uh, you know it's such a freaking cliche. So what I'm, what do I want to stop and start doing? I want to stop needing to know everything and being into every detail. Right, that's the FOMO. Got to stay and, away from the FOMO. Yeah, and I want to stop having you know work invade every aspect of your life and setting some boundaries, which I think is healthy. It'll make you better at work. Um, and happier at work and more productive at work and you'll see things differently and have different perspectives and it'll make you a richer, fuller person outside of work and in general. Mm. And this is the show about finding the power to choose what you actually want and finding the courage to miss out on the rest. So what would, your, what would be your advice to somebody who wants to do that? Yeah, I think you got to stop and smell the roses uh, every step of the way. I, I was... Uh, very driven when I was younger, you know, promotions and taking on more and doing more was vitally important. I think you got to set some boundaries for yourself. You got to be who you are. You got to be the best you can be. You can't, you can't try to be what others are. Ambition's wonderful, but not if you're not happy along the way. So every step of the way, you should be enjoying it and not wonder what's next or what am I missing out on or wait, this person got promoted ahead of me. Your day and time will come. And I know this is much easier said than done, but if you're constantly wanting the next thing, then you're not enjoying the current thing. And that doesn't mean, by the way, if you cut back on that, you're not ambitious. You can be ambitious and want to grow, but still enjoy each step. And I think that's a that's a tough balance as well. Um, so I would tell people to want that next thing and work hard for that next thing um, while you're enjoying the current thing. Um, otherwise, you're not going to be so happy. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what's ironic, of course, is that if you you move, you get that thing, and then you don't enjoy that either because you want the next thing, the next thing, and so you sort it never of like, ends. So you, if you can learn, and I think it's like the little things in life. If you can enjoy the little things in life then the big things come easier. And that, and that comes in your career and getting your coffee in the morning. But it's sort of like this idea that we have to be ambitious to the point that we're self-flagellating and not enjoying anything. It's a long way to live your life. It's a waste. Yeah. And look, there's always going to be the next thing. And, you know, by the way, it's, it goes with everything in life, the next car, the next house. I mean, when does it ever end? So you just have to enjoy it. And, um, but you have to be comfortable enough in your own skin and confident enough um, in yourself. And that's hard. And we all struggle with that at times, um, in order to do that. So it's much easier said than done, but I think that's probably the best thing you can do, um, in work and in life. So I thought there, w- there was only one room for one McGinnis on FOMO sapiens, but it turns out you were wrong. All right. Uh, Peter McGinnis, president of Chobani. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. FOMO. And now it's time for the faux moment of the show. And today I'm welcoming back Abhishek Pushkin and Marco De Leon, the co-founders of Brooklyn-based Rip Van, the Better For You Snacks company best known for its Stroop waffles. Rip joined me from home in Brooklyn while Marco zoomed in from Richmond, Virginia. And to start out, I asked Rip how they are managing through this moment. 
COVID has changed the external circumstances. And within that, you have to figure out what can you do to optimize your business. That's one. And then the second thing is, as you get through COVID and the circumstances eventually go back to normal, what are you doing right now to ensure that when that transition takes place, you're able to manage the business as you were managing the business before? Okay, so Marco, what does that mean in terms of specific changes that you're making right now? With COVID, there was a big external shock to our business, um, you know, especially within within food service. I mean, we have a lot of distribution that is in coffee shops or in offices, and so overnight that went to to zero as a lot of those places were closing down. So, you know, we we really pushed. Um, you know, our focus towards, towards online and really where, where consumers were, um, and can, can get our product. And I think it's been really good because we've been able to build out, um, and grow our online business significantly. And also, you know, really connect with consumers on a much deeper level that, you know, we haven't been able to, because I think we've been very, very focused on, on offline. We actually revamped our website. So we launched a new, new website, um, you know, recently. So that was a, that was a big focus for us. You know, we really started, uh, you know, email marketing, um, as well. Um, we really weren't, weren't doing that as much of a focus, um, previously. And Rip, as you think about just dealing with the needs of your employees right now, I mean, you have employees who are living in New York city or in different places and they're spread out, but they're also dealing with their own personal situation. So how can leaders of startups like yours create an environment where, the people who work for them feel feel safe? I think on a personal level, it's, um, you know, I think basic EQ is, are you being mindful of the load that a team member is able to take? And are you being mindful of whether they're stressed out in their personal life or not? And are you able to connect with them on a personal level so they feel that they're not only being heard, but they're being understood, um, especially during this time. And I, th- I, I think if, a, if leadership is able to do that really well during this time, it's going to cement the bonds between you know, the, the, the critical relationships within the team. And it's really going to s- solidify a good culture. Because if you can get through something like COVID, and the team is pumped and positive, it's, I mean, you're building huge dividends in culture. And Marco, this isn't the first time that you guys have gone through a crisis. You, you just had a really interesting sort of brand refresh and email campaign that went out that I really liked. And you talked about the fact that you almost ran out of money at one point, and then your factory burned down. So you've been through these crucible moments before. What are you taking from those experiences in order to apply uh, those lessons right now? I, I think that Previously, you know, I think the first time that there's a, a major crisis in the business, um, it feels like the the sky is falling, um, and there's, an, I think, a certain emotional aspect to that. And this time, there's a lot less emotion to it, where it's basically saying, "Okay, you know, this has happened. We've, you know, these customers of ours have shut down. What are we going to do about it? How? What effect does that have?" you know, on the business and on the, on the top line and on the bottom line and what decisions do we have to make? 
Um, I think in previous crises, like we were, the business has been so emotional for us that it feels like, oh my God, everything's failing and this is going to be the end of it. And that's not how we felt this time. I think we really had been through it, been through enough of those near-death experiences that we understood that, you know, this is not the end. We'll figure out a way and let's just make sure that we go about that process in a really systemic and thoughtful way. Well, guys, it's been good seeing you today. And fun fact for all you listeners, I actually go to their headquarters in Brooklyn as often as I can, and I usually walk out with a box of waffles for making the trip. I actually went through two boxes in one month when I was writing my book. To commemorate that happy memory, Rip Van and I are teaming up and we're giving away four boxes of waffles and four copies of my new book to four lucky FOMO Sapiens listeners. Just head over to their Instagram at Rip Van Waffles, that's R-I-P-V-A-N-W-A-F-E-L-S, or mine at Patrick J. McGinnis, or both from today on until the end of May. You'll find all the details in the post. FOMO. And that's the end of another episode. If you have an idea, a story, or a question, you can find me on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, and at www.patrickmcginnis.com, where you can also take the official FOMO Sapiens diagnostic and find out if you're a FOMO Sapiens. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstrow. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it at Spotify and at iTunes. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com. 